Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Hello. And today we are discussing chapter 24, the final chapter of Persuasion by Jane Austen. So chapter 24 is kind of an epilogue and it wraps up everybody's feelings about Anne and Captain Wentworth getting engaged. Yes. Maybe wraps up some other storylines too. <laughs> yes. There is no dialogue in this chapter at all. No, it's all story, isn't it? And it's all the author talking. And she even says, I believe it to be the truth. She is talking with her own voice. She's done that two or three times through the book, hasn't she? Yeah, but it's not as noticeable as it is here. No, this one's very much a... Yeah, and I feel like she's trying to teach some sort of lesson. This may be bad morality to conclude with, but I believe it to be truth. It doesn't matter whether a couple are young or in love or have any money or anything. When they're determined to get married, they're going to do it, whatever anyone may say against it. But then also there's Anne and Captain Wentworth. Exactly. They're not young and stupid. No. They've got money. You know, they've been tested by time and circumstances as well. Sir Walter made no objection, and Elizabeth did nothing worse than look cold and unconcerned. It's a mask that she has to wear, I think, isn't it? She's got no choice, really. I imagine she would be a bit pissed to see another younger sister getting married before her. Well, unfortunately for Elizabeth, she's been taught to rely purely on her good looks and her so-called breeding. But let's be honest, a baronessy is not exactly that high. And it's a baronessy with no money. It refers to the mortification of seeing Mr Elliot withdraw. Because up till now, she had been deluding herself that he was there for her. Which even Mrs. Clay knew. Realised it wasn't, yes. Speaking of Mrs. Clay, we'll just skip to that bit because it's great. Mrs. Clay runs off with Mr. Elliot. Her affections had overpowered her interest. She fell for Mr. Elliot. Which is not surprising. He was a personable young man and given a choice... Not only was he personable, but he kept his money. Sir Walter may have been good-looking, but he was older and he had no money. He might have had a title. And he was also an idiot. (laughs) It's really interesting, the future that you can see for Mrs Clay and Mr Elliot, that he might be wheedled and caressed into making her his wife. It wasn't actually as uncommon that a mistress might not become a wife. So Mrs Clay has also left Sir Walter and Elizabeth high and dry. They must long feel that to flatter and follow others without being flattered and followed in turn is but a state of half enjoyment. They still have their cousins, the Dorimples, who they adore and look up to, but they no longer have Mrs Clay following them around. Or even Mr Elliot, who was so keen to keep visiting them and to be displaying those manners of respect to the elder of his house that they thought he was displaying. They might have to pick up some of those people that they thought were beneath being their friends to have someone to look up to them wonder what happened to Mrs Clay's father, the lawyer. Oh, you think he might get kicked out by Sir Walter? Not necessarily, but uh, it must put a little bit of, you know, he can say, oh, like I disown her or she's her own woman or what have you. She could have put her father in a very compromising position. Definitely. 
I doubt she cares, though. No, I don't think so either. In fact, from actually quite, I suppose, despising her when I first read the book, I actually have a bit of respect, I suppose. She's she's played her cards as they suit. It was never an easy time for, for women of any class. Yeah, you've pointed that out several times during our podcast, actually. You're like, you know what? Mrs. Clay is not that bad. <laughs> no, whether I could trust her as far as I could throw her is another kettle of fish. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> But I don't look down on her as I might have done a while ago. She is doing the best that she can for someone in her position. Mm. She's got a young child to look after, I think, hasn't she? She's got a son? A couple of children, children. I believe, who have just been left at her father's house. Which was, again, not uncommon in those days either. Mary did the same thing. Oh, good Lord, yes. I do like her. She's all of a sudden realised she's no longer going to be the first to be welcomed as the married woman. She now has to give way to Anne. But she is gratified that there's no estate. (laughs) And she flatters herself that she was instrumental in the connection. But Captain Wentworth's going to be better than Captain Bennock and Charles Hayter. I know. So she can lord it over her husband's siblings. She's such a nightmare. Elizabeth I feel pity for because she never... She grew up, obviously, with the worst possible example. Mary has actually done very nicely for herself and yet cannot seem to see it or appreciate it. Although it does say that she is looking forward to being the mistress of Uppercross. But she'll still complain because that's how she is. She compares herself to Anne in that because Anne has no landed estate and no headship of a family like she will when she becomes the mistress of Uppercross Hall. They're not um, titled titled at all. No, they're not titled. So it's quite different. There was some talk earlier on about Mr. Elliot having affection for Anne. But he is only referred to as being discomforted and disappointment. That does not sound like love. I'm not sure he's capable of love. But I, I do think he had, as well as somebody like him can do, I think he probably had respect for Anne. And obviously she was... By this point, when she was more cheerful and everything, she was an attractive woman. But he realised she was the one that was really running the estate and keeping everything going. She was the intelligent one and would always be a good wife to whoever she married. Yes, I can't imagine Elizabeth making any sort of sacrifices. He was careful with his money and she wasn't. And he would have, they would have had a rather nasty shock, I think, if he had married her. Or even if he'd married Anne, he wouldn't have been free with his money on the estate. Yet he has enough money to keep him mistress. They're expensive women. Sometimes, yes. But he was careful with his money. Yes, I mean, very when, much he'd, so. when he'd acquired his money, he wasn't actually, um, he wasn't out gambling or just spending it on fancy, fancy things. He was taking good care of it. Anne's a little disappointed that she doesn't have any family to give Captain Wentworth. All she can offer him is two friends, Lady Russell and Mrs Smith. But those are better than any of her family. And once Lady Russell and Captain Wentworth have buried the hatchet, as it were, and recognised the value in each other, I think they will get along well. It does indicate that she begins to think of him as a son. I think it's a really big thing to get over, though. It's kind of glossed over in this chapter. But her saying, no, you can't marry her, even if it was eight years ago, 
that's a huge thing to get over, being told you are not good enough. Yes, but I think also the last couple of chapters have illustrated or allowed him to see things from a different perspective, from seeing the hurt perspective, from seeing it from Anne's perspective, and from the perspective of somebody who truly cared for him. Who was it was saying that they wouldn't have encouraged an imprudent wedding, marriage? And it was one of his friends. Mrs Croft was saying that she couldn't condone a long engagement, an uncertain long engagement. I think from that perspective, I think his point of view had changed a lot. And particularly when he realised if he'd come back that 12 months later... He could have had her. Yeah. Although he could have at that point felt that, well, she only wants me now for my money, I suppose. (laughs) I think he's also grown in understanding. And yes, there is that bitterness, but I think there is also that recognition that she was unlike her father and sister, who basically would have probably just as much done things despite Anne. Lady Russell was actually more about protecting Anne. Yeah, Lady Russell definitely had her best interests at heart. Yes, she may have been wrong, or she may have been right right in hindsight. Well, it sounds like if they had got married, they would have had two years before he made any money. Mm. So that's two years living on nothing. Two years of being pretty tough life. Yeah. And I also got the impression somewhere that Anne also had the concern as that perhaps the fact that he was unsuccessful in love made him more determined to succeed in his career. Whereas if he felt more settled and had someone to come home to him, he may not have had the same level of determination. Might not have taken the same risks. Mm. So Mrs Smith is so excited to be friends with Captain Wentworth and Captain Wentworth helps her out, secures her fortune. Yes, so he basically follows up on the estate of a late husband. Now, there was a bit we were discussing, and I'm not sure what it means. Mrs Smith's enjoyments were not spoiled by this improvement. With some improvement of health and the acquisition of some friends to be often with, for her cheerfulness and mental alacrity did not fail her. Are they saying that, yes, her health did improve, or that her enjoyments weren't spoiled, so she was still sick, but being able to enjoy her life? She was still capable of enjoying everything, even though she now had the money. So if you think about it, she still enjoyed gossip. She still enjoyed the company of her housekeeper, her nurse. She didn't create an heir. She was grateful. I think the issue is, because it's a run-on sentence, rather than separate sentences saying separate things... It makes it difficult to interpret because but you've it's got to take those commas. Miss, we're not spoiled. Yes. So Mrs. Miss' enjoyments were not spoiled by this improvement of income. Full stop. With some enjoyment of health and the acquisition of such friends to often be with, so with this improvement of income for her cheerfulness and mental alacrity did not fail her. Her positivity, her mindset, her own innate cheerfulness and gratitude, that remained... And it didn't fail her, despite suddenly being suddenly in a better being position. In a better position. The chapter ends with talking about Anne being a sailor's wife, which should have been a separate paragraph from the one about Mrs. Smith. I think to start with, she gloried in being a sailor's wife, but must pay the tax of quick alarm for belonging to that profession. The interesting thing is, this is one of the few novels that is set in a specific time. We know when this is set, and it was during the peacetime. Anyone reading this knew that Bonaparte was going to escape from the island and there was going to continue to be war. So we end a little bit on a warning 
It's not over yet. Captain Wentworth could make lots more money, but he could also die in war. It's a risky profession. Something that I noticed reading this chapter. Sir Walter is kind of accepting of the marriage. He's not ecstatic about it, but he likes the appearance of Captain Wentworth. And he begins to prepare his pen with a very good grace for the insertion of the marriage in the volume of honour. <laughs> now, I think that would have been a great way to end the book instead of having it just at the end of the first page of this chapter because it ties together the start and the end of the book. Yes, I think you are right because you can, it's, then it's gone that whole round with him just filling out the book with a new entry. This is an extremely short chapter. Amongst all the rest. Well, there's no dialogue, is there? There is no dialogue. It is really an epilogue. It is. They're together now, but let's wrap up some loose ends. Next week, we are not actually finished with Persuasion. The book is finished, but we are going to discuss the cancelled chapter. Which actually I can't remember having read. I haven't read it as much as I have read Persuasion, but I have read it a handful of times. I remember there's lots of running up and down stairs. So it's a little bit farcical. Also, we don't get the letter. So I think perhaps we don't get chapter 22 and 23? Been replaced by 22 and 23. I think so. Oh, well, that'll be exciting. You can find the cancelled chapter online easily enough. Uh, I recommend reading it. uh, And we will do an analysis maybe between the two Mm. and see which we think is more effective. And that is our summary of Chapter 24 of Persuasion by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening, and we wish you happy reading.